Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful to you uh, for your Son, through whom we can now come with boldness and confidence, asking for you to give us your Spirit, that we would understand this Word in a way that is more than cognitive or intellectual, but is also transformational, that, that our lives, our marriages, that our work relationships, um, our parenting, the relationships we have in the community would be affected by this, that we would be, through this message, uh, becoming different and almost an enigma to those outside the faith. Father, I pray that, that through our difference, particularly in the area of meekness, that the gospel might be made visible for people. And I pray this uh, so that you would be glorified and that we would be filled with joy over that glory. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, just a couple months ago, Gallup survey, they do all these religious surveys, came out and said that, uh, that the uh, public's confidence in religious organizations is at an all-time low. Now, they attributed to two things in particular. That would be the televangelist scandals of the 80s and, of course, the clergy abuse uh, in the last 10 years. Uh, I think that's convenient. I think that those are issues. But I think there's something more fundamental about the public's uh, lack of confidence in the church. And I would say it's this, that we are not... (coughs) We are not being the church. Interesting, when you go through these Beatitudes, we're going to get to 13 through 16, about let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. That idea of light shining before men is born out of you and me living with these Beatitudes. So as we are poor in spirit and as we are mourning and sorrowful over sin, as we're walking in meekness, as we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, as we're, as we're being peacemakers and as we're being pure in heart, and as we're praying for those who are persecuting us, that's the light. That's the salt. And that is what's going to bring confidence. Not that we're looking for the public to be confident in us, but the, the public ought to be seeing something different in us. And, and let me say that this one, meekness, kind of sticks above many of them in terms of if this were to be part of the fabric of our life, you would have no struggle needing to explain yourself to people about what makes you tick because it's, it's, radically, it's radically absent among us. The, the fifth verse of the Beatitudes is, Blessed are the meek, for they shall... Inherit the earth. It's profound truth here. Now, meekness is something that we don't use the word. I, I don't think we really understand the word. I mean, if you were to see, to think, what does the culture think about meekness? How would the culture define meekness? And I think you would have words like um, kind of easily frightened, timid, um, kind of wishy-washy. If you were to see a, 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 a meek person, you're thinking of indecisive and back and forth. You know, 
you see those old movies with Jesus in them? He's kind of that pasty white. He looks like a weakling. And, and that's what we think of as meek. This idea, the reason we don't want to be meek, of course, in our culture is because of the, you get run over. You get bullied around. You get pushed around. You don't get anything you want. Nobody wants to be meek. You want to be a supercharger. You want to move forward. This idea of meekness would be like putting an, a young Amish man in the middle of New York City. You know, what's he going to do there? He doesn't have any of the gearing for it. Or like a little dog that has been abused, they're kind of cowering all the time. That's what the world thinks of with meek. And, and sadly, Webster's Dictionary defines it as a, a lack of spirit and strength. And, and, and the, is, that, is that what Jesus is speaking about here? Blessed are the meek. Here, I'm trying to encourage you to be meek, but what does that mean? Well, well, the word meek is a difficult word to translate. In fact, I really want to use two words. I would use gentle strength. Gentle strength. Clearly, gentleness is there. When the word's translated, it it has this idea of, of courtesy and submission and lowliness and gentleness. That's there for sure. Uh, but, but there's a strength that if you were just thinking, well, that's meek, that must be weak, it's like, no, 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 that is not meekness. Meekness is not to be ever equated with, weak, with weakness. In fact, meekness is actually a strength. It's a strength of self-control over your passions. That meekness is having a strength that I can actually live selflessly promoting the needs and the interests of others, that with the strength that I have, I can actually serve other people. Now, this is born by faith in God. The, the, the faith that we have in God gives us a strength to put our needs down, to put our rights down, and to seek the rights of others. That, that's what meekness is. It, it's a gentle strength whereby, because you have faith in the God of the universe, you are able to actually sacrifice yourself for others, serving them, promoting them, protecting them. Let, let me try to give you a picture of a... It, it's like, a, it's like a, a war horse, right? So you have a, this horse that's trained for battle. It, you can see the muscles ripping in its legs as it walks, but it's perfectly in control. It almost walks gently as it goes through, under the control of the man who rides on it. That's this idea of strength, under control, strength used for the benefit of others, strength administered with gentleness and courtesy and lowliness. No pride, no swagger, but just gentle strength moving forward. Incidentally, you notice where it is placed within these Beatitudes. It follows number two, which is mourning for sin, that idea of when we actually begin to believe in the glory of God, we look at our lives in comparison to it, we think, we feel lowly, we feel, God, how, you know, it kind of brings you to a place of, of lowliness before God. But then the next beatitude is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You think of a Wilberforce, you think of a, of a strength of character, trying to advance truth and trying to advance godliness in a culture. So that's what it's set between. It's a gentle, strong, is what meekness is. It's definitely a strength. Okay, two things I want you to understand about meekness. So that's meekness. I've described it for you. Two things, it ought to be played out in your posture before God and your posture before man. 
So let me just take your posture before God. You and I are called, the blessed life is for those who are meek before God. Now, it obviously follows the first two Beatitudes. The first one, poverty and spirit. We talked about what that was. It's a, it's a moral bankruptcy. It is a spirit-led self-awareness that I've got nothing to give to God that I'm unworthy of him. I can't come to the table with God as a partner, even a secondary partner. I am absolutely without anything to bring except my brokenness. So that, that poverty in spirit is that moral bankruptcy, and it leads to humility. And then the second beatitude is those who mourn for sin. So once we see the greatness of God, we see our moral bankruptcy, we see how our sin has offended God, then all of a sudden, we are brought low towards repentance. God, have mercy on me. I used to see these things as very innocuous, as very kind of benign. But now I see my actions and behavior and attitudes and thoughts as, as really cosmic treason. And I'm sad. I'm sorrowful, and it leads me to repent. So when you come before God, and you think about those first two Beatitudes, it makes sense to be meek. Is I'm not going to stand before God proud and arrogant. You know, it's like Psalm 130. If he should mark our iniquities, who could stand? Do, do, do any of us feel like we can just walk right up to God and say, here I am, I'm ready to enjoy eternity with you. There's a meekness, there's a lowliness that this ought to bring to us. There's a meekness to it. But, but there's not just a meekness, a lowliness, a gentleness before God, but there's a, there's a strength. And here's what the strength is. When I see my sin, when I see my poverty of spirit, I turn to God for comfort, as is promised in the second beatitude, and God gives me forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. And a relationship has been restored. God's disposition has turned toward me now as a son. So I have this trust in the goodness and the sovereignty of God, so now I can be strong in faith to God. Regardless of what flows into my life, I have a hope in God that assures me of his protection, his provision, his goodness in my life. Now, I draw all that out of this passage because the passage is drawn out of Psalm 37, verses 11 and 12. Jesus almost quotes verbatim parts of this psalm. And here's what the psalmist writes. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath. This is kind of giving a description, by the way, of meekness. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath, do not fret. It leads only to evil, for evil men will be cut off. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. In other words, with this faith in God's new disposition towards us, we've been humbled, we've been repentant, God's disposition has changed towards us. Now, what does meekness look looks like? It looks like the saint's glad submission to the will of God. That regardless of the evil that we face, we know that he is for us. We know that he will honor us. We know that he will protect us. It's also this meekness before God is also reflected in the complying with God's word. Yes, God's word sometimes, you read it and you think, how can I do it? The cost will be too great. But we say, but he's greater than the cost. So we move, complying with God's word. Or, or meekness also looks like this, this patient waiting during times and seasons of difficulty. 
And the patient waiting is not inactive. It's very active because you're actively going back to the promises. You're going back to the character of God. You're going back to his fatherhood in your life. And, and so a meekness before God brings all those things together. Let me just sum it up with two authors that kind of define a meekness before God. One is Sinclair Ferguson. He's a current modern-day preacher, Scottish preacher down actually in South Carolina. And another is Matthew Henry, about 300 years prior to that. Say the same thing. See the same thing in the Scriptures. Ferguson writes, it is. This is what meekness is. It's the humble strength that belongs to the man or woman who has learned to submit to difficult situations and people knowing that in everything God is working for his good. It's profound, working for his good. He's for our good because of that change in disposition towards us because of the merits of Christ. This is what Matthew Henry writes. The meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God, to his word, and to his rod, who follow his directions and comply with his designs. Because we know that these situations coming upon us that are difficult are not God's judgment. God's judgment has been fully vented on the Son. The Christian does not bear God's judgment anymore. There may be discipline, there may be trials in our lives purifying us and drawing us to the Father, but there is no judgment upon the believer because the Son has borne that. So what is your posture before God? I mean, is your posture one of, is there, is there a humility to it? Is there sorrow over your sins as we've been studying this? Is there a meekness, is there a lowliness, an acceptance of God's plan for your life? Or, or is it more confident? Is it more distant? Or is it more challenging, grumbling and complaining? This is a, God, this is the way it is. I don't want it this way. Why can't it change? And I'm going to pray until it, change, until it changes. And if it doesn't change, then boom, I either stop praying or I stop believing. What is your posture before God on this? Are you meek before God? Are you practicing? Are you walking out meekness? Let me remind you of the Edwards sermon about a month and a half ago. Do you remember when he was dying? You remember, he's dying now. I don't know that you face a lot more challenging situations than that. But as he's dying, here's what he writes. Remember, he writes this to his daughter, Sarah, who would then share it with his wife. He writes these words. He says, it seems to be the will of God that I must shortly leave you. There's a peace. Remember how his doctor said we've never seen faith walked out so well? I'm not holding Edwards up as he's a super saint and we're just little saints. He's just a man that was filled with God's spirit, as you and I can be and walk out in the same manner. He says, it seems to be the will of God that I must shortly leave you. You see him clinging less to life and beginning. His heart is turning to home. His heart's moving to want to see God. It should be the heartbeat of all of us. And I hope, this is what he writes, I hope she'll be supported under so great a trial and submit cheerfully to the will of God. There's a cheerfulness accepting that my husband is going to be taken to glory. And to my children who are now likely to be left fatherless, but I hope this is an inducement to them to seek a father who will never fail you. It's a submission to the will of God. It doesn't mean let go and let God. I don't buy that. We are called to engage actively, but the active engagement we are is in trusting God that he has led us to this place and he's going to lead us through this place. So that's a posture before God. That's what meekness is. Quiet submission under the good hand of God in our life. That's what meekness looks like for the saint before God. Now, 
Here's where it gets a little more dicey. How does meekness look before each other? This is where we're all going to start doing a little shift and wiggle in our chairs. But, but we need to hear this, because I think through the power of the gospel and through the presence of the Spirit, we can move forward in this. Meekness before men looks like this. Number one, there's going to be an increase in self-forgetfulness. In other words, that we are no longer clinging to, we're not demanding our rights, and we're not demanding our privileges, but we're actually uh, meek before others, letting those rights go. It's almost an abdication of rights. In other words, one author said, I'm, the meek man is more concerned about his duties than his rights. The meek man, um, and Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, he says, he doesn't demand anything for himself. He doesn't make demands for his position, his privileges, his positions, possessions, his status in life. You know how we are. We have an expectation that people ought to treat us a certain way. But the meek man pushes that expectation aside. He has God. So I don't need the adulation, and the recognition of men. He, he pushes those things to the side. He doesn't demand that. He's not looking for the recognition. He's not bothered when people overlook him or fail to appreciate him. The meek man is also a humble, a teachable man. As I said, the meek man doesn't have a swagger. He doesn't have pride to be offended. He's not looking for all this recognition of who he is or what he's done or how he's impacted other people's lives. That the meek man is humble. He recognizes, what do I have that I haven't received? And so why should I boast as though I didn't receive it? In Corinthians, he's very teachable. He can learn from anybody. Someone younger, someone less experienced, someone less intelligent, they can still teach him. They can still still share with him a truth that will be beneficial to him. This takes strength. This is why meekness takes strength. I mean, to submit and learn from somebody that you know is not your peer is significant. Uh, Thirdly, um, meekness is also uh, seen in the gentleness with our words. The gentleness with our words. In other words, that the meek man um, listens first to understand. He listens first, and and then he... uh, He listens first, and then he thinks on what he's going to say. That that his words are not harsh criticisms, but but his words are seeking to be instructive, but with grace and and, and a measured tone. That that he, he doesn't have to have the last word. He doesn't use sarcasm to advance himself, particularly off the back of other people then a meek man is very intentional about the language that he uses in the lives that he impacts. But, but the meek man is also uh, concerned about the, or the meek man is also um, steady in terms of trial. So when trial comes into his life or someone brings an injustice, he's not seeking to protect his rights. He's not seeking to retaliate. He's entrusting himself to God. The meek man is also concerned about the rights of others. In other words, the meek man is not a quiet man. The meek man will get angry. Here's the difference with the meek man. His anger is not self-righteous. He's looking to protect and promote the rights of others. So he is going to have anger at the right time 
toward the right person and do it in the right manner. But it's going to be upbuilding others. It's going to be protecting others' names, other reputations, those who are weak. He's not going to be looking to build up himself. Now, as, you, as I've gone through that little list with you, you can, you can see how difficult it would be to be meek. I mean, to be meek, to, 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 to harness your tongue, to not be harsh, to not retaliate when you've been hurt. I mean, these are difficult things. Now, you know, we live in a culture that pays great dividends to the powerful, the strong, the influential, the tough. I mean, if you look at the executive offices of Fortune 500 companies, you're not going to see a ton of meek people in there that, that are described like this. I mean, you just don't see them. I mean, the, the culture is moving towards tough, harsh, you know, backbiting, climb the ladder, climb over people. You know, Survivor, for example. A meek guy wouldn't do well in Survivor. I don't imagine he would. But that's what Jesus calls us. And here's the sad thing with the church. The church, in every generation, when it has opportunity, has saddled up with the powerful, the king, the government, to advance its purposes. The church has never done well abandoning meekness and hooking their wagon to that or who was powerful at the time. So what is your posture before one another? I mean, do you tend to... uh, fly off the handle when you're criticized or when you're in an argument? Or are you you able to suppress that anger and think about the nature of your sin before you return? In conflict, do you want to retaliate? Do you want to return the favor? Or are you able to turn away with your anger, controlling it? I mean, when you're, especially when you're unfairly criticized, what is your first response? I mean, do you tend to want to have the last word in every argument? Do you tend to always see your position clearly without ever trying to see the position of the other person? I mean, how about your relationship within your spouse? I mean, are you using men to use your strength to encourage and promote godliness and and understanding with your wife? And and, and ladies, do you, because most of you are more gifted in speech, are you able to just cut them down to pieces with your tongue? not trying to understand where they're coming from? Or in the workplace, when someone gets ahead, do you try to send the, the, you know, the, the phrase or two just to undermine the success that the guy has or to make sure that you get part of the credit because you did part of the job? Someone else gets the promotion that you think you ought to have received? Do you, do you somehow work your way into receiving some of that credit? Or, or even, in the, in, even in the world, I, I mean, the, the meek person doesn't, Hope, okay, if this political party gets in office, great, then we're going to be in great shape. The meek person's entrusting himself to God. He may exercise his political responsibilities, but my hope is not in that. My hope is in the one who's created all things by his word and sustains it right now by his word. So where are you on this? I mean, I don't want to lead you to condemnation. I don't want you thinking right now, I shouldn't have said it to my wife, Maybe you should think that, actually. But I I, I want it to be conviction of God's Spirit. See, Jesus doesn't expect perfection out of us in terms of I'm hitting all these meek definitions perfectly. He's not not expecting perfection. But there is an expectation that there's going to be a measure of meekness in your life. And there ought to be a desire for greater meekness in your life. And there ought to be repentance when you see the absence of meekness in your life. 
Because if it's not there, here's the problem. I, I fear that some of you are sitting and you're thinking, you know, that, that's right for some people. You know, some people are wired that way. I'm hardwired for just driving ahead, and I'm a steamroller, and that's the way I am. And, and, and you're contented with who you are, and, and you're not convicted by this. And, and you just, you're, you're contented with who you are, and, and that's just the way I am, and people have got to accept me. I, I would say to you, you're probably not a Christian. I mean, I know that sounds harsh to you, and we're not supposed to judge, and we're going to find in Matthew 7, yes, we are, yes, we are. We, I want to correct everybody on that sermon. The, the, yes, we are to judge. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. And so if there is no meekness in you, if there's no desire for meekness, remember, the desire is a, is a mark of the Spirit. I mean, if you even desire for things like that, you know God's at work. Be encouraged by that. Don't be discouraged by it. Martin Lloyd-Jones was the one that said, we are to be different from the world. That, that we as meek Christians are to be different. We're to be an enigma. Why? Because the Christian is born again. God has done a unique work in you. Charles read the passage from Ezekiel. I will take out your heart of stone. I will put in a heart of flesh. The Spirit will dwell in you and lead you to obey my law. And so th- that's what we expect for the believer indwelled with the Spirit of God, we're going to be different. And here's the reality. We're to be different in terms of our, of our humility, different than the world. The world's self-promoting. We're to be different in our sorrow or sin. The world's blame-shifting. We're to be different in our meekness. The world is self-defending. That if nobody sees any different in you, what does that say about our profession of faith? It would speak volumes. So that's what meekness is. Meekness is before God. It's that that humble submission, but strength in the goodness of God, even in the midst of trials. And and meekness before men is is borne out in non-retaliation, non-harshness. There is a strength, but it's to advance the rights of others. Now you say, well, this is a tall order. But notice how Jesus encourages us here. Okay, so we've had a strong word given to you. I've given you a strong word. I've asked you to hold your life against this. But now listen to how Jesus will encourage us. He says in the second half, for they shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the earth. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. They're going to inherit the earth. What does this mean? Well, back in Psalm 37, when God gave them the promise, when he reminded them of this inheriting of the earth or the land, it's the same word, he was referencing and reminding them of the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12. And in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham the land. But I want you to understand that this promise of the land is more than just a deed to a piece of property. Why? Psalm 37, they're already in the land. They're already there. They already had the land. So what's he promising here? Well, this is what we call a synecdoche. A synecdoche is just an expression, or it's a, a term of speech where a part of something represents the whole. So, for example, if I say, I got the keys... That means I've got the car. Now, the keys aren't the car. But if I've got the keys, you know he's got the car too. So the keys are a part of the car. So when God is promising us that we have the land, he's not just thinking of ground or territory. He's thinking all that the land represents, which is all the promises of God. So when God was promising to Abraham, you're going to have land, you're going to have a kingdom, a seed's going to come from you, a son who's going to redeem all things to me. We're going to be together, enjoy peace forever, worshiping God. So when we hear this 
promise of inheriting the earth. It's all the promises of God which are symbolized in the giving of the earth to us. The new heavens, the new earth, reigning with Christ. All these are promises given to us. This is what we're going to inherit. And so he's saying, if you're going to inherit these, of course we can be meek. See, the future promise, you see the tense is in the future tense. The present implications. What did Jesus want these disciples to understand when he says, you're going to inherit the earth? He's not thinking, oh, that'll be a place for my mansion to be built. Not so. He wanted them to know in this life now, I can live with peace in the midst of trial. Why? Because if God has secured my future, he will take care of my present. It affects me today. I can live with contentment even if my station in life is not as high and comfortable as others. Why? Because you know what? I have all the promises given to me. I don't need to strive for things and money and power. It's all mine. That which I could strive for now is only temporary. It has an impact on me today. I can be steady in the midst of adversity. Why? Because he's given me all things. He's giving me this. He's going to assure my passage there. I will navigate through these trials by his grace. I mean, think through. You know, this is why Paul says in Corinthians, he says we're dying, yet we're alive. He says we have nothing, and yet we possess all things. That great paradox that I'm speaking about. This promise, for they shall inherit the earth, is saying to you, folks, you've got to park your mind on this. We are very, very driven by visual, temporal, material to think of all that God has promised to you. That is to be a promise that is to form a foundation for your joy and meekness in this life. If you don't get that promise, you'll never be meek. You can't be meek. You can't afford to be meek. They will run over you. But the person that has these promises, it's okay if they run over me. This is what I have. I have him. I have all the promises of God. Do you see how that works? He's giving us a future promise to give us a current hope. So think about that. What are you striving after so much? I mean, what do you think about? Where does your mind go? Ask yourself this. Ask your kids. What is dad most passionate about? What is mom most passionate about? Ask one another. I mean, if we don't have our hearts turning towards home, that is our real home, that is in the presence of God, then meekness is going to be like trying to, it's going to be trying to hold water. It's just going to keep, it's, it just squirts right out of you. You're not going to be able to hold it and contain it. But I'm asking you, as people who are living and breathing in flesh right now, I'm asking you to begin to commit with me to be thinking about these promises of God and attaching reality to them. That's reality. What this is, temporality. It's what we have here, temporality. That's reality, and it's to affect our lives right now. Okay, so, so that's the word. It's a hard word. I want to say to the, to the Christian here, this is why you need the Spirit of God. To the non-Christian here, you can try this, but I want to just give you a word of warning. That, that trying to be meek apart from the Spirit of God, it's like uh, throwing a rock in the air. It, it may defy gravity for a while, uh, but when it starts coming back down, it's got a lot more velocity and it's going to hurt you a lot more. You cannot do it apart from the Spirit of God. That the non-Christian can have flashes of meekness, but to truly be meek, you have to be a Christian. And the reason is, is because it's fueled by faith that we're going to inherit the earth, that we're going to have all the promises of God. But for the Christian here, 
I want to encourage you in ways to realize this meekness. Let me just give you some things. We're going to post this on the web again. It's been easy with the Beatitudes to kind of back end some of the application and then just stick it on the web for you all to see it if you want it. Um, But let me give you some ideas on how can we realize this meekness. Because if you're like me, you've been kind of challenged in this word this week, and I'm thinking, how can I walk in a manner that develops meekness and and fights the self-promotion that I struggle with, fights the defensiveness that I can capitulate to? You know, it's amazing to me, um, just a couple weeks ago, someone said something sharp to me, and the speed with which I returned was almost, you snap your neck. I mean, I just thought, God, have mercy on me that I want to so quickly defend, so quickly self-promote. So these are some things that um, I think can be instructive and helpful for us in the sense of kind of realizing a a deeper sense and enjoyment of meekness. Number one would be, uh, uh, number one would be to fix, well, first be filled with the Spirit. I'm asking you as a church that you would join with me to ask God to fill you with his spirit, that in Galatians chapter 5, 16, that gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. So the spirit has to be indwelling the believer, and then out of the spirit's activity in our soul, that that gentleness begins to come. And we want to ask for the spirit. Now, you you know, um, and I want you to have confidence in it. You know, as I shared that verse last week, if though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the, Holy, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we ask God, God, fill me with your spirit. Give me your spirit that I may walk out in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. So you ask him for it, believing. It says that he loves to give the kingdom to those who are his own. So ask him for the spirit. Secondly, fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, Jesus is the quintessential meek man. Think about it for a minute. Jesus can cup the children's face in his hands, and he can say to the apostles who are trying to shoo away the children, he says, to such as these belong the kingdom of God. And yet at the same time, he can form a court of whips and drive out money changers and confront the Pharisees and best them at their game. I mean, this is Jesus. He, He won't shout. He won't cry out. He's so gentle. A bruised reed he won't break. A smoldering wick he won't extinguish. And yet when in trial and in trouble, he doesn't retaliate. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, he says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Meditate. Read through the Gospels. Look at how Jesus, when you read the Gospels, people, don't just read what's happening. But, but imagine, how is Jesus responding to these changing circumstances? See how the Lord Christ responds and behaves and how he returns and speaks to people. There's a gentleness and a strength. So fix your eyes on him. Thirdly, I would say form a proper estimate of yourself. Go back to the first two Beatitudes. Think through this idea. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Am I poor in spirit? Am I walking before humility? Am I walking with humility before God? And think about mourning over sin. Think about the nature of your sin. If he should mark my iniquities, could I stand before him? No. These two beatitudes move you into wanting to be meek. And remember this, John Bunyan made this great comment. He said, he who is low need fear no fall. He who is low need fear no fall. If we have a right estimate of ourselves, 
And it goes a long way for us to begin reacting with meekness. We begin believing this person does have a great piece of wisdom for me. I don't need to be offended that they're going to tell me how to prepare a sermon when they have never prepared one. Partial confession there. But it's true. I can learn from everyone. But that would be, that would be a snapshot of my heart. And so I humble myself so that I can receive from all people that you can receive from one another. I would also say value trials, value aging, value sickness. You know, if you take Moses, in Numbers 12, 3, he was said to be the meekest man. Now, Moses did not have a disposition of meekness. In fact, if you know Moses, he was strong. He was raised in a Pharaoh's home. He was a leader. He was used to being served. And so it took 40 years. It took suffering. It took hardship. Leading a stiff-necked people. Seeing his own sin. And it made him a very meek man. Allow the buffeting of life under God's direction to lead you to a greater degree of meekness. And, and, then, and then last, I would say to practice meekness. Now, this is like the Puritans would say, pray until you pray. Well, I would say, learn meekness by being meek. So in other words, when you're confronted um, by somebody and you have a piece of conflict, before you want to defend yourself, why don't you stop and just go quiet Think about their criticism. Ask God for grace to help you learn from their criticism before you respond, before you say anything. If someone criticizes you on some other issue, why don't you think through who you really are and, and, and who you really are before God. And if God were to declare all that you are, you might think you got away with something by their criticism. I mean, they don't even know. That's the old Jack Miller, cheer up, you're worse than you think. You know what I mean? I mean, if God, so, so you may criticize me, and I, I remind myself, I'm, not, I'm a lot worse than they think I am. I'm actually in decent shape. They just said this about me, but I'm really this, 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 and this. But by God's grace, he's accepted me in Christ. So, 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 you know, remind yourself that you're probably worse than the criticism that you're receiving. Um, try not to defend. Try not to respond. Try to listen. And, and, and try to use your strength always in the promotion of others. You know when you're tempted to, to walk in self-promotion, you want to make sure someone knows that you did something right, and, and you feel that urge that you want to tell somebody? Well, just, just say, God, I want you to be honored by this. I want you to be satisfied in it, as opposed to you know, trying to be... So that's not meek. It's not meek to, to walk with self-promotion and self-defensiveness. So begin practicing meekness, and when you fail, Repent. Here's the great news about being a Christian. You will fail this week, but you have a God who has given us one who, if we confess our sins, he's just. He'll forgive us. He'll cleanse us. Folks, repentance is probably one of God's greatest gifts to the church. We clear the air. Paul says, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. How did he do it? Through repentance. Repents before God. Repents before man. Let us be a church that walks in this repentance. If I've, if I've sinned against you or if, I've, if I'm praying and thinking through my life and I'm like, you know, I sh- I, I, in fact, I did this to Nick at, at, the, um, the, at the meeting we had. I thought I just sounded harsh with him. As I thought, I was driving home thinking, that sounded like I didn't appreciate all the work. So I pulled him off and said, I just want to apologize to you. That, you know, I, I think I sounded harsh to you and, and I didn't appreciate the work that you had done for this project. And he says, well, I didn't hear it at all. I said, well, I, I was convicted by it. And... Uh, 
And, and I want to just ask for this freedom in that. It's great. He sees the gospel displayed in me. I have my heart washed clean for the sin that I committed. And, and boom, the relationship is not just restored, but it's bettered. So think through this meekness. We've got these three Beatitudes. We've got five more to go. It, it, it might get a little more dangerous as we're going down the list more. But, but, you know, to be poor in spirit, to mourn over sin, and now to be meek. Next week it's to be uh, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So people of God with me, these are, these are pearls around your neck. They are to be pearls. That we are to be seeing these take place in more and more and in greater and greater measure in this church. So let's take a minute now and pray. And this prayer time is a snapshot of heaven when we're going to be around the throne of grace, giving glory to the Father. This is a corporate time of prayer. So we're thinking corporately now about the church. We want to pray in a way that's loud so we can hear and, and of course, short so that other people can pray as well. I think when someone prays for a long time, people get a little nervous about, do we have time? Should I pray? Should I not? Is the elder going to pray? So, so let's just pray briefly. And, and considering this word, it may be a word of confession, it may be a word of petition, but let's just speak to that now.